Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. I was recording my audio first. It's not a race. It's not a competition. Because I would lose. I'm not very fast (laughs) anymore. (laughs) I was fast once. Old and rickety. That's my grinder hookup name now. (laughs) Old and rickety. Oh, that's a, isn't that like a subcategory? People go for that. (laughs) Hi, Kate. Hi, Dom. How do you do today? I do it the good. How are you to do it? I also do it a good. <laughs> Today on this day, the eve of my birthday, mm. I share my birthday with lots of famous people, which I always took as a sign that I too one day would be famous. Um, most of them are still okay. Sandra Bullock, uh, Keith Richards, um, Helen Mirren. Ooh. Yes, Jeremy Piven of Entourage fame, um, Kevin Spacey, hashtag cancelled. Um, <laughs> if you didn't know, nuts. by the way, we're, we're here oh, with yeah. the latest inside scoop. <laughs> yeah. Call us E.T. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so I'm excited, but yes, I'm definitely feeling the, um, the, the, the doom that you feel when you reach a certain age and you go, what am I doing with my life? Um, I'm at a crossroads, but that's all right. I'll keep chipping away and I'll figure it out one day, maybe. Well, I feel like there's plenty of songs out there to help you with your crossroads moment. Like, Oh, definitely. Britney Spears has done one and <laughs> Sinead O'Connor's probably done one. And Perfect. But let's not get into a depressive state. Happy no. birthday, Kate. We love you. Your brickies out there, we love you. And it's a special day. It's Kate Day. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. Um, I'm excited also for this episode that I get to share with you today. And everybody's going to be a little annoyed because we left them on a cliffhanger last week uh, with Dom's story. Um, of the Summerton man, Summerton. Yes. Great. Sometimes I don't read the titles of the episodes. I probably should, but you've been left on a cliffhanger. This is going to get you by and just cleanse your palate a little bit in terms of the Summerton man so that you can just get excited for next week's episode, which will finish off that story. But Dom has done a power of work for all of you that might've been listening or picked up on The last month I um, have been a part of directing the production at my school Uh, and there's a power of work that goes into that, including lots of late night rehearsals and bump in and tech rehearsals and all of that. Uh, I cannot thank, if any of them are listening, I cannot thank my prod team enough. Uh, Lisa, Michaela, Steve, I love you all very, very much. Uh, Lisa did in fact tell me a story that one night she went to sleep listening to a, like a calm app. And then she woke up at two in the morning with my voice in her ears because it had auto played, (laughs) started to auto play shit in bricks. So she was like, why is Kate talking to me at two in the morning? (laughs) 
So huge shout out to them, but Dom has been doing a power of work and lots of heavy lifting. So it is absolutely my turn to tell a story and I am very excited for the story I'm going to bring you all today. Well, congratulations on getting the the show across the line and into the whole team. But we certainly have missed you, Kate, even though you've been here being goofy and silly and laughing at all my dumbass jokes. (laughs) (laughs) I've been here in person, but my spirit has officially returned to my body. So I'm here for it and I'm ready to go. All right. Lay it on us. Excellent. All right. Now. Today, I always like to start you off with a phobia that you can share uh, with people around the dinner table. So we are looking at xenodokiphobia. So this is the fear of foreign hotels. No way. There's an actual phobia for this. This is ridiculous. There is. And I have some background about where this title came from, about where this name for this phobia came from. So this phobia is um, people with, uh, you know, a fear of foreign hotels. It might be due to unsanitary items. For example, maybe there'll be no soap. Maybe there'll be no toilet paper. Or it can sometimes be that they feel like they're going to get robbed or killed in a foreign place. And the hotel sparks that anxiety. Ah, so makes sense. a gentleman by the name of uh, Bernard Berenson devised the term to characterize his own misgivings as a tourist. And he said, I invented it long ago to designate the sinking feeling that in my travels often overcame me of uh, fear of the inn or the hotel at which to be my lodge. Perhaps they would be sorted. They would not let me have my promised apartment, that my bedroom would have the wrong proportions and flattening me out of my normal shape, squeezing me out of my own way of breathing. Perhaps the lights would be glaring and no reading lamp would be by my bed or there would be sharp and clattering sounds outside or bad smells without or within. And he went on to explain that he traveled a lot. Um, He would then be driving in all of these foreign countries and he would wish his destination was further and further away for fear of what he would find when he reached it. Oh, Bernie boy, you are, you are, you are a whole lot of things. You are, there's some interesting items listed on that. There's uh, so much going on. Like, yeah, I wonder, I wonder, I would love to know a little bit more about our friend Bernie and why not having a reading lamp would send you into such a tiz. Yeah, exactly right. He just really needed that, that reading lamp. It's very specific. So a xenodokiophobia, I pronounced it wrong the first time. It's a mouthful, but that's the phobia we're going to be sort of touching on a little bit today. Because after I wrote this story, I certainly have a touch of it. Uh, because today's episode, Hotel Horror, there is only one hotel that jumped into my mind when I was doing this research, and that hotel is the Hotel Cecil in Los Angeles, California. Yes! I love this story! Now, I'm going to go on a little bit of a, you know, just touching on a few bits and pieces. There is one story that I'm going to focus on, but I will get to that, and there is plenty plenty of podcasts there are documentaries there are all sorts about the hotel cecil it is truly horrendous what happened and i'll tell you a little bit about that if you don't know about it already so the hotel it's almost 100 years old it opened in the downtown area of la in 1927 shortly before the great depression it was designed by loy lester smith in the beau art style it was built at a cost of $1.5 million, which roughly equates to like $14, $15 million in today's money. 
So it wasn't, you know, they weren't doing it on the cheap at first. It has 14 floors and at one point it had 700 rooms, which were designed to house business travellers and tourists. Unfortunately, its popularity, which peaked in the 40s, suffered when the city of Los Angeles began pushing its homeless population into nearby Skid Row. And rather than dealing with the wider social issues that had caused LA's uh, itinerant, Mm -hmm. that's a word, uh, itinerant population to rocket, the hotel soon became a rooming house for day laborers and transients. Yeah. Now, all hotels have their share of mortalities. But problems in the cursed hotel began almost from its opening day. In 1927, a man called Percy Osmond Cook shot himself and died the same evening. A few years later, three other men died by suicide, one with pills, one with a gun and one with a razor. Whilst in 1937, a woman called Grace E. Magro fell from the ninth floor window. The true cause of her death, whether suicide or foul play, was never established. Many deaths at the hotel have been cited by records as fell from building, and they weren't necessarily ruled as suicides. They could have been suicides, but they also could have been accidental, or they could have been foul play as well. But that's already a few too many little X's on that checkbook, if I'm being perfectly honest. Yeah, I hope none of that (laughs) appeared in their, you know, um, little brochure Exactly. So now these fell from building. uh, The list of these names is Grace E. Magro, 1938, Robert Smith in 47, Helen Gurney in 54, Julia Francis Moore in 62, Alison Lau in 75, and two identified men in 1992 and 2015. Kate, I wonder if like the balconies are on a bit of a slant or something. Oh, at this point, would you not think, you know what, maybe we'll screw shut the windows. Yeah. Well, we don't need opening windows in this hotel after like maybe the second person, but no, oh. another five people proceeded to yeah fall fall off this building. Yeah. Uh, now, several ex-military men resided at the hotel and they also took their own lives. And in 1944, a 19-year-old woman, Dorothy Jean Purcell, oh, this is I hate this one, but she gave birth to a baby on her bathroom floor. Now, she thought that the baby was stillborn and in a panic, she threw it out the window rather than telling the man that she was staying with. The coroner's report found that the child was actually alive and Purcell was charged with murder before being found not guilty by reason of insanity. So there's some bad shit going on at this hotel already and I'm just getting started. Some bad juju, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. In one of the most tragic cases in 1964, a hotel worker called Pigeon Goldie Osgood was found dead in her room. She had been raped, beaten and stabbed. The killer has never been found. Meanwhile, in the 80s and 90s, serial killers Jack Unterweger and Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. the Nightcrawler, they Mm. were both reported as residents at the Cecil in the middle of their killing sprees. Yeah. So this got me to, uh, you know, go on to the track of who's Richard Ramirez in case you're not sure who he is. So here is a little bit about Richard Ramirez, a.k.a. the Night Stalker. Now, he was born in El Paso, Texas in 1960, and he was the youngest of five siblings. According to the New York Times, when Richard's cousin Miguel Ramirez returned home from the Vietnam War when Richard was 12, he showed him photos of Vietnamese women that he had raped, tortured and killed. Yeah. Quite quite the imagery to show a 12-year-old. 
Now, when Richard was 13, uh, he witnessed his cousin shoot his wife in the face, killing her. He dropped out of school, fair enough, and moved to Los Angeles when he was 15 years old, where he began burglarizing homes to fund his drug addiction. Ramirez was arrested twice for auto theft in 1981 and 84, and he spent several months in jail. Now, Ramirez was 24 years old at the time of his first known murder. He often left pentagrams and other occult symbols on the walls of his crime scenes, where he tortured his victims with knives, hammers, tire irons, thumb cuffs, and pistols. After the long, frustrating hunt chronicled in in the Nightcrawler, Night Stalker, Ramirez's photograph was released to the media and he was arrested at the end of the summer of 1985, soon after a civilian spotted him on a bus. Now, Kenneth Givens, who was a resident uh, of the Cecil Hotel, he explained that back in the 80s, I would never go farther than the sixth floor. Usually the higher floors of the Cecil, uh, people used to get killed up in there. Once they got a guy in the room, they would rob him, beat him up and throw him out the window. So if you didn't watch yourself, you might come flying out of there with no wings. Mm. Ramirez's room was on the 14th floor, but as we know, the Night Stalker never brought any of his victims back to the hotel. It was simply a safe place for him to return after committing his murders. It's one of these hotels that's well known for this type of crime. The Cecil Hotel is where serial killers, you know, let their hair down, says Kim Cooper, who's an author and Los Angeles true crime tour guide for Esoturic. Imagine being a true crime tour guide. Oh, yeah. Maybe that'd be wild. Uh, Kim went on to say one was a figure who stayed upstairs on the 14th floor. Was uh, He was paying $14 a night for his room. He liked to scare, torture, torment, kill and rape human beings. On at least one occasion, Ramirez had actually removed someone's eyes as trophies. And then after committing some of the most brutal murders that happened in Southern California ever, he would come back to the Cecil. She added in the middle of the night, he would be in the back alley covered in blood, taking off his clothes. Fellow LA historian and esoteric guide, Richard Shav also described Ramirez's habit of walking up the stairs to his room in his blood-stained underwear, barefoot, after discarding his bloody clothing outside. He said, and that's cool, and no one's got a problem with it, because that's the kind of heavy place it was. Yeah, I, you know, if you're the manager of the Cecil Hotel <laughs> yeah. back in the day... <laughs> let's just, let's just visualise. <laughs> I think having a policy of, you know, no blood, no underwear, no, like... <laughs> no I, shirt, no shoes, no service. How yeah. about <laughs> no blood, no clothes, no entry? Yeah. <laughs> Holy moly. Then we had uh, Jack Unterweger. I want Unterweger, Unterweger, uh, sorry, Unterweger. For historians or those of you at the Esoteric that are listening to this. Now, Jack, he was another one of the serial killers that lived at the Cecil in between murdering people. What a legend. Uh, to give you a bit of a backstory on Jack, he killed a woman in Austria and he was arrested in 1976. Although he was sentenced to life in prison, this drives me batty, the state believed he became a reformed man and released him on parole in 1990. Sure, why not? Okay, yeah. Good idea. Cool. So you killed someone, uh, but you seem to be better, so that's good. He became a minor celebrity and writer and he travelled to Los Angeles to write a mag- magazine piece about sex workers. 
But between 1990 and 1991, Antawiga killed three sex workers by strangling them with their bra straps. Mm-hmm. During this time, he was rooming at the Cecil. After being caught and arrested, he was found guilty of at least nine murders, including the three women women in L.A. He was serving time in an Austrian prison when he took his own life in 1994. Yeah. Can't say we miss you, Jack. No, he's an often forgotten forgotten one. And whenever people talk about the Cecil and and obviously Ramirez, like, you know, there's so many big, big names attached to this place, but there's all these other little ones that get you know, swept under or forgotten about. Yeah, exactly right. And there's a couple of stories that I'm not even touching on today. There's so many more. Um, But this is just a real, yeah, just a a gloss over the horror that is the Cecil Hotel. (laughs) Now, the one story that uh, still boggles people's mind, uh, even today, is Elisa Lamb. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit. I'm going to go into a bit of detail about Elisa Lamb because this to me was the most fascinating story that came out of the Hotel Cecil. And it still, yeah, is something that people are obsessed with today. They honestly, when I was looking into it and reading a bit more about her and about the case, uh, it's, it, yeah, it's difficult to come up with answers. It's, it's bizarre. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you a little bit about Elisa. To this day, nobody knows exactly how Elisa Lamb died. We know that the 21-year-old Canadian college student was last seen in the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles on January 31, 2013. But the infamously chilling hotel surveillance video that captured the bizarre final moments before her disappearance, let alone the other details that have emerged since, have only elicited more questions than answers. Now, that video, so I watched that that whole video of the surveillance, Mm. it's got 32 million views on YouTube. It's a four minute video and I will go into a little bit more detail about what happens in it, but I definitely recommend if you've not seen it, watch it. It's, it's not particularly confronting in and of itself, but it's definitely bizarre. You watch it and you're, you don't know what's going on. It's very, yeah, very kooky. So definitely check it out. So, on January 26, 2013, Elisa Lamb arrived in LA. She had come by Amtrak train from San Diego and was headed to Santa Cruz as part of her solo trip around the West Coast. The trip was supposed to be a getaway from her studies at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, where she was originally from. Now, her family had been wary of her traveling by herself, uh, but Elisa was like, I'm, I'm going by myself. I really want to have a good time. I don't need anybody to come with me. So as a compromise, she made sure that she was going to check in with her parents every single day to let her know that that she was safe, which I think that's a decent compromise. That's decent enough. Yeah. Now, that's why it struck her parents as unusual when they didn't hear from their daughter on January 31st, the day that she was scheduled to check out of her LA hotel, uh, the Cecil. (laughs) <laughs> the lambs, <laughs> the Cecil, it's the Cecil. Now, when you listen to some things as well, they call it the seesaw. Um, but I just kept thinking of seesaw. So I call it Cecil, which I think is more of the Aussie take. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's your podcast, Kate. You can do whatever you want. It's the Cecil. The Cecil <laughs> Hotel. Uh, now, they didn't hear from her. So the lambs have eventually contacted the Los Angeles Police Department. 
and the police searched the premise uh, for of the Cecil, but they couldn't find Elisa. They even had, you know, the police dogs coming in, looking for her scent, trying to, to track down where she might have gone, uh, but they could not find her. There was not a trace of her at this hotel. Police soon released the surveillance footage taken from the cameras at the Cecil Hotel on their website. And this is when things took a turn into the truly bizarre. The hotel video showed Elisa Lamb in one of its elevators on the date of her disappearance. She was acting rather strangely. In the pixelated footage, Lamb can be seen stepping into the elevator and pushing all the floor buttons. So she jumps in and she just quickly like taps every single button. Mm. Then she steps in and out of the elevator and she's poking her head out sideways. So she kind of comes in, presses all the buttons, then she stands next to the wall as if somebody is in the corridor that she's trying to hide from. Yeah. And then she peeps out again, head to the left, head to the right. It's, it's really weird. And then at one point she steps out of the elevator. Meanwhile, the elevator doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. This footage is just from the same floor. So I find it bizarre that she's got in and pressed all of the buttons. And then she stands outside the elevator and she's out there for a bit. Like if you've pressed all the buttons, you would think that the elevator door would shut and, and take off. Didn't but know. the door closes, it opens, but it doesn't go anywhere. She's still on the same floor. It's very bizarre. Yeah, supposedly and the elevators in that building really sus. Yeah, real dodge. Very creepy. But the last minute of uh, the video, it shows Lamb standing to the left side of the door and she's moving her hands in really random gestures. It's... Yeah, it's quite creepy. I was kind of sitting there because I knew the story of what happens to her next. I was watching it and trying to, yeah, you just naturally try to analyze. So you sort of sit there and you're like, oh, what's going on? Like, who is that? Can you see any shadows? Can you see any other arms, legs, feet? Like, is she talking to someone? But she's making really weird hand gestures. Yeah, it, it was, it's truly bizarre. It's a classic sort of, it almost feels like it could have been lifted from a horror film it's it's set up in a way in the timing you're expecting something to jump out or to happen yeah but it's not like a it's not a it's not a boo moment it's just no. a this is odd and bizarre yeah. and humans don't typically act this way correct something's yeah. going on exactly but it's so, silent yeah. and it's just footage <laughs> Yeah, if you haven't watched it, you have to watch it. It's so, it was intriguing. I was completely, intri- I was like locked to this screen for four minutes. And yeah, it's like no time passes. It's it's crazy. So you should definitely watch it. Um, now, this video was released um, and public reaction to the video, it crossed all the way over to Canada and China to where Lam's family was originally from. Now, on February 19th, two weeks after the video was published, uh, maintenance worker Santiago Lopez found Elisa's La- Elisa Lamb's dead body floating in one of the hotel water tanks. Lopez made the discovery after responding to complaints from hotel patrons about low water pressure and a weird taste coming from the tap water. Ugh. Yeah. Now, there's a Netflix documentary and it is called Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. It's a four-part Netflix series it goes into a lot of detail. So I watched a couple of episodes. 
it's it's the classic Netflix doco where they put the music underneath and they've got the live reenactments where you don't see anybody's face. It's just people who are like, you know, dressed as a maintenance worker. So lots of close-ups on like the maintenance, tr- you know, little trolley and yeah. all of that sort of stuff. What I'm explaining to you in, in a minute, they draw out into two episodes. So it's just that constant, you know, what happened to her next? And then it just goes, and it's good. But yeah, it does definitely drag a little bit and they do a great job of trying to keep you sucked in. But I watched one clip um, from that, which kind of stuck with me. And it was an interview with two guests who stayed at the hotel at this time. Mm. Um, Now, when they stayed there, they said that they had a rough stay pretty much from the get go. Um, they were there. It was pretty awful. They heard, you know, there's, there was a party downstairs one night. They could smell weed coming through the vent in the bathroom. There was just a lot going on. Now, about four days in, they noticed that the water pressure was really low. In addition to that, the water was a brown color. Yeah. So that's so gross now that we know that it's because there's a dead person that is in there. Yeah. Um, they or oh, they go on to say that they still use the water to brush their teeth, mm. to shower in, and they also drank the water. Yep. So and they were like, geez, this tastes weird. It's got a real what is that on my palate? What am I getting? Is it oak? Is it like <laughs> No. It was a flippin' decomposing body. So no wonder it tasted weird. Um so this couple asked to be moved to another room, but the water pressure never improved, which is when they asked the front desk to to check it out because it was it was crazy um and that's when they sent santiago lopez up to check it out now according to a statement by the chief of the los angeles fire department the tank in which lamb's body was found had to be drained completely and then cut open from the side to remove her body so that in and of itself you're sort of like hang on i get you've got to remove a body a particular way but if you're needing to drain it and cut a hole in the side then how is like how is she easily getting in? Because mm. there's sort of you know there's like trapdoor on the top of it. She could have just slipped in there, slash someone put her in. This is the thing that nobody knows. They're like, what? How did she get in there? How did she get up there? So nobody knows how Lamb's corpse, floating lifelessly next to the same clothes that she wore in the surveillance video, ended up in the hotel's water tank, or who else might have been involved. Hotel staff authorities. Um, said that Lamb was always seen by herself around the hotel premises. One person did see Lamb soon before her death at a nearby shop, eerily named The Last Bookstore. (laughs) How's that for foreshadowing? Owner Katie Orphan was among the last to see Elisa Lamb alive. Orphan remembered that the college student was buying books and music for her family back in Vancouver. Orphan said it seemed like Lamb had plans to return home, plans to give things to her family members and reconnect with them. Mm. So she asked for, you know, books that weren't too heavy. She asked for books on particular topics. You know, it was it was for specific people. So she had specific people in mind when she was purchasing these books. So it doesn't appear to be, you know, someone who's then going to go and fling themselves into a water tank a few hours later. But... Mm. Again, just another weird aspect of this case. Now, when the autopsy results came out, uh, it only served to ignite more questions. The toxicology report confirmed that Lamb had consumed a number of medical drugs, likely to be medication for her bipolar disorder. 
but there were no indications of alcohol or illegal substances in her body. Now, after the toxicology report came out, amateur sleuths, good on them, bad on them, I'm not really sure. I'm on the fence with amateur sleuthing. Yep. Um, but they began poring over this information in the hopes that they could potentially solve the mystery. Uh, ex- for example, one summary of Lamb's tox- toxicology report was posted online by a Reddit sleuth, and this particular person had a real interest in medicine. So they broke it down. They were like, here's three key observations that I can see as, you know, someone who's interested in medicine, interested in toxicology. So the first one is lamb took at least one antidepressant that day. Yeah. Number two, lamb had taken her second antidepressant and mood stabilizer recently, but not on that day. And three lamb had not taken her antipsychotic recently. So these conclusions suggested that Lamb, who had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and depression, might not have been taking her medications properly. Yeah. So there's, you know, lots sort of wrapped up in it. However, it was an important finding to note, given that the use of antidepressants to treat bipolar disorder can uh, risk inducing manic side effects if done without caution. Mm Mm-hmm. Some sleuths have understandably latched onto this detail and suggested it was likely a likely explanation of Lamb's behavior in the elevator. Watching the video, yes, I would like I would probably be inclined to think that maybe her medications were not all correct, uh, but again, like my goodness, I've just read about this story a couple of days ago in detail, so who am I to give my opinions? <laughs> Now, Amy Price, uh, who was the hotel manager, her statements in court strongly support this theory. During Lamb's stay at the Cecil Hotel, Price said that Lamb was originally booked in a hostel-style shared room with others. However, complaints of odd behaviour from Lamb's roommates forced Lamb to be moved to a private room by herself. Uh. So I don't know what classes as odd behaviour. Like, I would probably be moved out of a shared room, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm not entirely sure. But even if Elisa Lamb had been suffering from mental health issues, how did she end up dead? And how did she end up in the hotel's water tank? The autopsy didn't show any foul play from the evidence that was processed, but the coroner's office noted that they were unable to do a full examination because they could not examine the blood from Lamb's decomposing body. Yeah. So there's lots of little things. And I feel as though this is what has got, you know, the amateur sleuths and things like that. It's just not, it's not clear cut. There's nothing about this is clear cut. And also with the Hotel Cecil and its reputation, you know, people believe that it's haunted. They believe that it's just, yeah, there's a lot of weird shit going on. So, yeah. Um, now, David and Yinna Lamb filed a wrongful death suit against the Cecil Hotels several months after their daughter's death was rec- uncovered. The Lamb's attorney stated that the hotel had a duty to inspect and seek out hazards in the hotel that presented an unreasonable risk of danger to Lamb and other hotel guests. The hotel fought back against the suit, filing a motion to dismiss it. The hotel's lawyer argued that the hotel had no reason to think that someone would be able to get in one of their water tanks, which I mean that I I don't see that as unreasonable. Yes. I think her dying, I can't imagine what the parents would be going through 
And of course you would want to be looking at litigation, but at the same time for that argument about them seeking out hazards, it's a bit tricky to, to sort of suggest that the hotel made it really easy to get into those water tanks up on the roof. Yeah, look, they got rid of the pet tigers. They got rid of all the swords <laughs> and the guns. <laughs> the serial killers. Yeah. I don't know at this point if they had any serial killers there, but who knows? Yeah, there's um, reasonable and then there's like, you know, you can find lots of ways people can injure themselves and be very creative about it. And, yeah. you know, I know that's a dark image, but... <laughs> no, I, I, no, I definitely hear. I definitely hear what you're saying. Um, now, based on the court statements from the hotel's maintenance staff, the hotel's argument that they, you know, weren't putting anybody in danger by having water tanks on the roof, that wasn't entirely far-fetched because Santiago Lopez, who discovered the body, uh, he described in detail how much effort he had to go to just to find her body. Mm. He said that he took the elevator up to the 15th floor before walking up a staircase to the roof. Then he had to turn off the rooftop alarm climb up to the platform where the hotel's four water tanks were located and then finally had to climb another ladder to get on top of the main tank. Only after all that did he notice something unusual. He said, I noticed the hatch to the main water tank was open and I looked inside and saw an Asian woman, Asian woman lying face up in the water, approximately 12 inches from the top of the tank. Lopez's testimony suggested that it would have been difficult for Lamb to make it to the top of the water tank on her own, at least not without anyone noticing. The hotel's chief engineer, Pedro Tovar, also made it clear that it would be difficult for anyone to access the rooftop where the hotel water tanks were located without triggering the alarms. Only hotel employees were able to deactivate the alarm properly. If it was triggered, the sound of the alarm would reach the front desk as well as the entire top two floors of the hotel. So it's... How did she get up there? It's a decent enough system. Yeah, but I don't understand. Help me out. How did she get up there? How did they not know? Was Santiago having a bit of a, smoking a bit of a chuff chuff, a bit of a spliff (laughs) up the the thing and left the door open or something? Like, you know, I can, can, can imagine those sorts of scenarios, but I'm sure police and investigation would be able to uncover that sort of thing, right? Yeah, you would think so. Now, Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Howard Harm, he ruled that the death of Elisa Lam was unforeseeable because it happened in an area that guests were not allowed to access. So the lawsuit was dismissed. So, you know, I do feel bad for the parents, Mm. but at the same time, yeah, this is not a public area. It's not as though they, that she had drowned in a pool that people could access. Yeah. There was a lot of... Uh, yeah, a lot you had to go to to get up to those water tanks. So poor Elisa Lamb, she nobody still nobody knows yeah. what happened to her. So to well, I was going to say hammer home, but maybe that's not the right phrase. <laughs> maybe that's not the right phrase to use. But I wanted to quickly go through the list of deaths at the Cecil Hotel just yeah. to really make clear what kind of vibe this place had (laughs) okay so january 22nd 1927 uh i want to say omega mark or it could be mark omega (laughs) who knows anyway he was 52 gunshot to the head suicide 
On November 19, 1931, Preston Handley Hicks, firstly, what a name, uh, suicide, ingested poison. He was 83 years old. So maybe he was at the end of his legs. Had enough. Okay. Yeah. September 1934, Benjamin Dodich was 25 years old, committed suicide by a gunshot to the head. July 26, 1937, my birthday, um, Sergeant Lewis, I don't know why I'm celebrating this because I'm about to talk about how this poor person died. Sergeant Lewis D. Borden, 53 years old, died from suicide by a slit throat. Ooh. Yeah, that's quite the way to go. Yeah, that's a choice. I, uh, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm all right. Thanks. Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks, thanks Happy for asking. Happy fucking birthday, Kate. <laughs> now, in March 1938, Grace E. Magrose, 25-year-old, she died by falling from the building. In January 1939, Roy Thompson was 35, died from suicide, falling from the building. In May 1939, Erwin C. Neblett, 39 years old, died from ingesting poison. In January 1940, Dorothy Seeger, 45-year-old, suicide, ingested poison. Jeez. Where are they getting... Maybe they need to, like, reconsider their poison um, gift, checks. Yeah, well, like, oh, don't in the sell, gift Yeah, don't sell poison <laughs> in the gift shop, please. <laughs> oh, imagine that. Oh, September 1944, Dorothy Jean Purcell... She threw her baby out the window. That's horrendous. Um, 1947, November, Robert Smith, 35 years old, suicide, fell from the building. October 22nd, 1954, Helen Gurney, 55, suicide, fell from the building. February 11, 1962, Julia Frances Moore, Julia Moore? No, Julianne Moore. She's mm. the actress, isn't she? Yes. So I was just checking. Not that it would be the same one. I've seen her in movies since 1962. So. Boogie Nights. Um, <laughs> Julia Frances Moore, 50 years old, suicide, fell from the building. October 12, 1962, Pauline Otten George Giannini. What a name. Mm. Um, oh, sorry. Pauline. <laughs> oh, my God. Just, just give me a moment. <laughs> October 12, 1962. <laughs> Pauline Otten and George Giannini. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're just pushing people together, making them one. But this is weird, though, because Pauline was 27, George 65, suicide, fell from the building. Both on the same day. Jeez. I That's would like lot. to know what, what sort of vibe, or sorry, I'm interrupting you, Kate, but like... No, that's okay. There's, there's a reason why people pick a specific place to commit suicide, right? Like there's lots of stories. One day I want to do a story of that forest in Japan where people specifically go to commit suicide. Yes. You know, what is it about a hotel? Is, is it the socioeconomic sort of nature of the people in the area? And was it cheap, cheap room so you could go do it? Is it just a depressing place to walk into and you're like okay yeah all right well this was the last straw yeah there's no this looks like the place mints on the pillow let's just do it um, i know yeah i hear that um okay so that was george giannini and pauline otten who yeah fell from the building 
Um, Pigeon, Goldie Osgood, she was 65. She worked at the hotel. She was murdered. She was stabbed, beaten and raped. Um, December 1975, Alison Lowell, she was approximately 23. She didn't put her accurate details on the check-in. Mm. She died falling from the building. Uh, in September 1992, there was a person who's not listed. Their name is not listed, but they're approximately 20, 30 years old. They fell from the building. In February 19th, 2013, Alexa Lamb, she was found. Possible accidental drowning was the, um, uh, you know, cause of death. Uh, and then we have another unidentified person in 2015 who was suspected from falling from the building. Jeepers. And this place is still in business, eh? Yeah, it's it's wild. Um, there was also one person, and I was just trying to find their name just now because I didn't actually jot it down, but one of the people that fell from the building, slash jump, slash push, whatever, um, actually struck another man on the footpath below oh. and killed him instantly. So that's technically another, you yeah. know. Actually, well, then I would suggest that that would be Pauline Otten. Because uh, George Giannini would have, was the same day. That makes so much sense. Oh, my gosh. Thanks, listeners, for staying with me while I figure out my thoughts. <laughs> so Pauline Otten and George Giannini, I believe Pauline jumped at, or fell from yep. the building and George was on the ground and she fell on top of him. Um, imagine that, just walking down the street and then, like, Damn. honestly, yeah. Okay, so that was the morbid list of deaths at the Cecil. That we know of, yeah. Exactly. Now, a little bit of, yeah, where is it now? What's happening with the hotel now? So the building was recently granted landmark status by the Los Angeles City Council. The hotel was given the distinction because of the building's opening back in the 1920s, which is considered the beginning of the lodging industry in the United States. The hotel still remains open to this day. That boggles my brain. But although, as a former manager explains, it went through a rebrand in 2011... (laughs) Do you think they needed a rebrand? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. They did like a Oh, you'll probably explain it, so you go. Yeah, but it's um yeah, it's a hotel hostel and it's now time to stay on Main. So it was trying to distance itself from <laughs> the Cecil Hotel. Mm. Um now one reviewer branded it as hip and cheery at a good price with extras that encourage guests to mingle. <laughs> no. So now in 2014 it was sold for $30 million to hotelier Richard Bourne. It closed in 2017 for renovation. Work on the hotel was completed at the end of 2021. So not long ago, you know, six, seven months ago. And the hotel has since now reopened, uh, but only as affordable housing at the moment. According to reports, the new renovations include 600 affordable residential units. Kevin DeLeon, LA City Council member, announced that the renovations for the housing section have been completed and we're now good to go. And that is information that I got from an article that was posted in March of 2022. So March this year. OMG. So that is a really quick snapshot of the hotel horror, which is the Hotel Cecil slash stay on Main slash you couldn't pay me to stay there a night. (laughs) Well, I do remember hearing stories of people going there specifically because of its history and trying oh, yeah. to like access the staircase and and you know all that sort of stuff obviously that hasn't happened or not maybe not recently but I remember around the Elisa Lamb 
stage and phase. It had that sort of cult following status and people were just obsessed with going there, which uh, I think, look, you and I, Kate, can be a little bit... A little bit flippant or a little bit, you know, we try and inject comedy into these sorts of things. But I don't know about let's go there and let's uh, exploit or... No. I hate that. It makes me feel like angry because I'm like, guys, just you're going to this place and, you know, I get the morbid fascination. Totally. But I wouldn't be one to go there and go, oh, Dom, let's try and go up the staircase where someone tragically fucking drowned. Mm. <laughs> like, And let's set off alarms and just be massive pains in the dick because we just want to see something that we heard on Shit and Bricks podcast. Yeah. Like, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty hectic. I would not like to work there either because you just get those questions nonstop. But who knows? Maybe some people enjoy that stuff and maybe that's their jam. But it's not for me and I'm not going to stay there. Yeah. And look, I, you know, we could get into all the politics of it all around, you know, what a city needs to do to take better care of people that are struggle, mm-hmm. struggling and, and so on. So I get the purpose and the need for affordable housing. And I think it's fantastic that at least the city, as far as I don't know enough about it recently, so don't quote me on all of this. Maybe the owners are shitbags or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in general, the, the, the idea of here's a building it's set up ready to go let's take care of you know a a community of people that have been not very well supported or recognized in the states for many many years across many many cities so hopefully it can turn around and be like a really positive thing for agreed and i hope that it does yeah become that because having that rebranding putting all that money into it you know they're talking about 600 residential units so they can house, you know, 1,500 people. Yeah. So if we're thinking about a small family, we're thinking about a couple, even individuals, but that's that's huge. So I hope it's a good thing that happens from the Hotel Cecil. Now, Netflix, I mentioned, they have a documentary, uh, Crime Scene, The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel. I also listened to a podcast, uh, which is The Mysterious Death of Elisa Lamb. Um, it's by unexplained mysteries. It's a little dry, but you know what, if you want some more in-depth detail about that story specifically, it's got a bit of the, the Netflix vibe where it does drag things out a little bit and leaves you with like little cliffhanger questions and then plays like a little sting and then they come back and they're like, Oh, so you want to know the answer to that question? Well, I'm about to tell you, but first let me tell you about blue apron. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that was one of the podcasts that I listened to as well. So I think my, I mean, does it count if the pop culture is a a Netflix doco? Is that too easy? Of course it does. No, of course it does. I've watched it. I recommend watching it. It is, it is, it's a commitment, but it's, there's some really interesting good things in there and it's relatively fair and unbiased. It's, that's good. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I got that from the first two. It dragged a bit for me, so I didn't push through the next two. Yeah. But yeah, definitely worth it. Well done, Kate. I'm so glad you did it. It's one of those classics and it's a story, though, that you can tell from so many different angles because of the people that have come and gone. Uh, That's right. I mean, I could do a whole episode on Richard Ramirez. I could do a series on him. I could do a whole episode on Jack Unterweger. I could, yeah, all of the individual people that were, you know, I was going to say victims of the hotel, but, you know, came to their demise and had a link to this hotel. 
Uh, you could honestly, I could go on and on and on. So this is very much a just scrape, you know, scraping the surface yeah. on this particular topic. But I really enjoy the idea of the the hotel horror yeah. um, vibe. And I didn't even go, because I was trying to decide the track to go down, I didn't even go down the track of, you know, stories where there's hundreds like yours. Uh, you know, you had a story that you told us about for our social media posts this week about discovering... <laughs> a seeming peeping Tom room in the bathroom by accident. Um, So that sort of stuff. Yeah. You could, you could tell a whole other episode of that. And I do, I did take a little reel myself when I stayed at a motel recently and my biggest, um, not fear, but something that bugged me the most and that frightened me the most was there was a fluorescent light were the only lights in the place, Ugh. only fluorescent lights. And it just was horrendous, <laughs> but that's nothing compared to the stories that I just told, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome back, Kate. We've definitely missed you. You came back with an absolute doozy of a story. It's been lovely to, to, to hear your voice again. And thank you listeners for tuning in to the hotel yes. of horrors. We love you. And don't forget to sign up to our Patreon too. We've got our amazing uh, members currently, our patrons at the moment, which we're going to get some more content to very, very soon. So if you want to see any little bonus content, uh, we do some little um, extra apps and little social posts and stuff like that. It's like five bucks and that's a month. So that's like a cent a day. Yeah. That's maths. <laughs> Put down that coffee and just give it to us. Yeah. <laughs> we love you guys so much. And Dom, I love you. Thank you for joining me for this story. And it's good to see you. Good to see you too. I'll see you next week for Summerton Man Part 2. Ooh. Ooh, see you there. Love you. Bye. <laughs> That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.